Hey everybody, thank you for joining us for today's episode of Real Estate Disruptors. Today we have my good buddy Matt Strong with Sierra West Funding. And he flew in from Salt Lake to share how he's flipped over 400 homes and funded over 125 million in hard money loans. It's a crazy amount. Um, if this is your first time tuning in, I'm Steve Trang and I help entrepreneurs create businesses that support their family, lifestyle, and goals through mentorship. I'm on a mission to create 100 millionaires. If you want to be one of those millionaires, drop me a message on Instagram at steve.trang. And if you're excited for today's show, please give me a wave, give me a thumbs up. And as a friendly reminder, I do not charge a dime for this show. I don't make any money doing this. So here's all I ask this is what it costs for you to listen to this show. If you get value out of the show, please tell a friend. You can either share this episode right now, tag a friend below, or tell your best takeaway from the show later on. That way we can all grow together. And this is a live show. So please ask your questions for Matt to answer. You ready? You got it. Steve, thanks for having me. Dude, it's my it's my pleasure. I, I've been excited. I've been bugging you. I know. I want to say probably about a year. Since well, yeah, probably about a year, but since yeah. May of last year when we met, right? Yeah. So. so this is awesome. So first question, simple question is what got you into real estate? I got it first, if it's okay. Yeah. You got a lot of swag. I don't have any swag. The only swag I have, so I wanted to bring you a little gift, right? Like yeah. the only swag I have is my, you know, my team, right? Mm -hmm. The Utes. So I got you a little oh. University of Utah. I know you're not going to like it, but maybe you can wear it when they're playing Arizona or Arizona State, you know? So anyway, it's the best I could offer. So oh, I appreciate it. Thank you very brought much. Brought you some swag. So anyway. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so we're going back to it. <laughs> what? What got you into real estate? So the, what got me into it is when um, my wife and I, we were looking for a first house, right? Mm -hmm. And so we had just been married maybe a year and a half. And back then, like I was in the mindset of like, I don't want to fix anything. So we were looking for new homes. And um, so we rolled into this. What you were know, you doing at that time? What was your career? So I was working, and this maybe is part of the story. I was working for a guy and we were, uh, I was working for him. The company was doing self-funded health plans for like small to medium sized companies. Yeah. And so I was just kind of like kind of a sales guy, right? And I had just hit like where I was on salary making 36,000 a year. It was like, it was like the greatest thing ever. I just graduated from college, you know, I was like salaried, yeah. you know, I was like, this is awesome. Let's go find a house. And so we ended up buying a new home with a local builder, Ivory Homes in, in Salt Lake, right? And mm -hmm. so I decided to go new because I'm like, I don't want to buy a house that I need to fix up. I don't know anything about that. So walking into the model home, you know, I'm like, hey, can I get a discount? I don't have an agent. And they said, well, we don't do that. But if you're an agent, you know, we'll uh, we'll pay you a commission. I'm like, sweet, I'm an agent, right? And so <laughs> I went and got my license. And that's how I got into real estate, kind of by default buying my first house. So Trying to save a little bit of money. So saving a little bit of money. So my first deal really was a no money down deal, right? I ended up getting my real estate license, closing on the house, crediting my commission. They were doing the FHA, we'll pay your closing costs back in the day. This was, I think... Uh, let's see, 1999 or 2000. Yeah, and they so would pay your, they would pay your closing costs and your down payment. Remember that Nehemiah neighborhood gold stuff mm -hmm, that yeah. was back in the day. So like we got into our first house, no money down. So then I started talking to the sales agent, you know, I'm like, how much money do you guys make? You know? And they're like, I don't know, 150 grand. I'm like, what? You just sit in the model? I want it. You know, I'm in. So yeah. I then started working for Ivory Homes and I already had my license. So I did four years kind of sitting in a model home. You're just kind of floating by. And it's like, oh, this is not, sounds interesting. Exactly. <laughs> and so, I, you know, we can talk about this later, but luckily I maintained a really good relationship with the, my old boss at the time mm -hmm. uh, because he comes back where he's been one of my main investors, you know, okay, cool. over the years. And so, but I kind of like bailed on him 
to go like, you know, grass is greener. And, and so that's, that's the quick story of how I got into real estate. It was kind of by default buying my first house and then just kind of, so then I sold houses out of the model home that was just right down the street from the house we lived in. That's so fascinating. I just cannot picture you in a new home. Oh man. (laughs) It was you for me anyway, it's a great for whoever loves doing it, but I just saw myself like dying a slow death, right? Like just, you know, you can imagine those days in the model, mm-hmm. you know, if you leave, someone comes in and you miss that lead, there's not too much you can control. I always felt like it was just selling a really expensive pair of jeans, yeah. you know, cause people come in, oh, I like the career model. Great. You know, sweet. Yeah, here you go. <laughs> you know, it's just order taking, Yeah. you know? So four years, you said? Yeah. For four years. So what's fascinating is cause you're a successful flipper or at least you used to flip a lot. Um, I think you, I, mean, I, I believe just, you still, still flip. do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you bought a new home because you were against flipping. So right. did this working in a new build help you develop a taste for flipping? Uh, not necessarily. So this is where I've definitely got to credit, you know, my partner that that we partnered with for like 13 years. So uh, his name's Matt, Matt Storheim. So he was, we were friends from high school, right? And so he had kind of gotten into the arena of working with distressed or like with bank owned properties and helping other investors, you know, just as an agent, right? And so. I was kind of desperately looking for something that could replace the income that I was used to sitting in the model. And I'm thinking, I, you know, like I can't go get a W2 job. What am I going to do? Right. Because, you know, along the way, you start buying like the new house and you get acclimated to certain lifestyle. Yeah. Right. And so by flipping, it was kind of through that relationship where, you know, I had a home equity line and he's like, you want to try one? So we did our first one together, um, the very end of 2004. Um, and it went well, you know, we made like 20 grand on the house and I'm doing the math going, okay, I got 10, you know, if we do 10, you know, it's like, ah, this might work. Right. Mm -hmm. So we did two or three more while I was still at ivory at the new home builder. And then I kind of felt like, okay, this might work. And so, you know, kind of when you're selling new homes, at least with them, you could, once someone had paid like a construction deposit, Mm -hmm. you'd be entitled to take like 1% kind of like an advance on your commission. Yeah. And so I all of a sudden pulled like, I never had never done it before in four years. I pulled all my advances, you mm-hmm. know, cause I just wanted as big of a cushion just in case this didn't work out. Right. And I remember the sales manager, he's like, so you're quitting, right? And I'm like, no, 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 I'm not. You know, and <laughs> I made sure I got the checks and they cashed it. I'm like, uh, I'm going to leave now because as soon as you tell them you're gone, it's like, great. See mm-hmm. you later. All right. So we had done two or three flips or at least one or two successfully and started the other ones before I quit. And then it was just like, you know, like anybody starting something new, especially with, you know, young kids and Mm -hmm. a new mortgage, like, you know, you're a little bit terrified of, cause you don't know what you don't know. And it looks like it's going to work. And, you know, thankfully it, uh, you know, we hit the ground running and, uh, and it worked out there, you know? So I heard you say 2004. Yep. So you did pretty well, probably during the run up. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah on the downturn in Salt Lake, it probably wasn't as bad as it was here, but it probably wasn't easy either. No, we got our clocks cleaned. So what happened? Sure. So it's kind of in a way for different reasons, you know, you have flashbacks, right? Mm-hmm. And so it, sometimes it makes you a little bit more pessimistic or cautious, at least for me now. But yeah, so we were flipping and man, those were the good old days, right? Like you could just jump on the MLS. I mean, that was my morning. You jump on the MLS, decide which ones you wanted to offer on. You knew if you offer on five or 10, you were going to get pretty good deals and you could be done hunting for the week by like 
Monday afternoon, you know? And so looking back now, obviously it's gotten easier because you have more reps under your belt, right? Mm -hmm. But man, that was just like the glory days, right? Prices were so low. It was so easy. There wasn't right. as much competition. So we flipped a bunch and then it started getting tighter, right? Like the margins started getting tighter. You'd see tons more people down at the courthouse. You know, there's different frenzies for different reasons, right? Like the lending was out of control. Anyone could go get a loan. So where we got, where we got in trouble was we kind of abandoned the flip model because it felt like there was scarcity of product. So we kind of thought all overnight we were developers, right? So we had some land deals. We were in the middle of doing some townhomes, Why not? some spec homes. And then, you know, it uh, kind of stopped us in our tracks. So those mm -hmm. were dark days like it was for everybody back then, you know, 2007, 2008. Um, we lost a ton of money. Um, you know, I had a foreclosure. I had short sales. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was like, it was kind of like, you know, not yeah. super fun, right? Right. Everyone, everyone got, got cleaned out. Yeah. So at which point then did you start lending? So the lending came came further down the road. So maybe to just kind of follow in sequence, right? Like, so I still remember the day, you know, it was uh, July, I think, 10th, 2007. You know, it's always awesome when you're at the courthouse mm -hmm. and you're buying properties, but it's not so cool when you see your name no. on, you know, the list of trustee <laughs> I sales. I can't imagine that. So that was like, you know, that was kind of like, it was a mental thing. And I kind of tell the story, it's super true, but this was what, to, for me, kind of changed my perspective on how things were going. Like I was out interviewing at jobs, right? Like I'm, I, I was like, the opposite of abundance mindset and positivity. It was like doom and gloom, not sleeping, stressing about, you know, what's going to happen, how much more money you're going to lose. And um, one day, you know, I was having a conversation with my wife. We had a brand new Tahoe, I had a, like a new Honda Accord, like, you know, and I'm like, and the reality is, is it was a lot further away than what stories I was telling in my head, mm -hmm. you know, it was like, we're, we're, gonna lose it all, right? Like, you know, we're gonna have to move in with my parents, we're gonna go bankrupt, whatever. And I was kind of like, if we had to live in the Tahoe, you know, and at that time we had three kids, my 11 year old now was like, just a baby. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm like, if we have to live in the Tahoe, would we be okay, you know? And she's just kind of like, yeah, we'd be fine. You know, I love you. And I'm like, it was like at that moment, it was like, oh, like the worst case scenarios, we're gonna be fine and we're living in the Tahoe. I'm like, yeah. That's great. Like, right. so it totally changed my perspective. And then it was like game on. Instead of looking for all the negatives and the, it was kind of like looking no for the positives. Parties. Exactly. It was like, okay, where's the light? Let's chase it. Mm -hmm. You know, what opportunities are out there? And naturally the market was at a prime spot. That's where we just dove right back in and started buying bank owned houses. So if the glory days were before the crash, really the glory days were you know, 2009, 2010, 2011, because after that, after all that, you know, getting rid of the short sales, going through the foreclosure, um, we jumped back in and started buying. Luckily along that way, we didn't burn any bridges with our private lenders and hard money lenders. So mm -hmm. they believed in us. And what we found really, really quick was first time homeowners, they didn't know what the stock market was, you know, I mean, they did, right. But they didn't know like that things were bad for people. They were just mm -hmm. stoked that they were now making 13 bucks an hour and prices were cheap, yeah. right? So they could qualify for houses that they couldn't before. And so we couldn't buy and sell stuff quick enough. And so it was really kind of weird because we had just gone through this like doom and gloom, but mm -hmm. 
but there was still a ton of doom and gloom because the stock market was like at nothing, right? And we were doing really well flipping yeah. houses. And I'm, I like had my best year up to that point, so like the year year after or two after my foreclosure. You were doing really well, went down this dark yeah. abyss. And the only thing that changed was your outlook. And 100%. everything was good again. 100%. That's crazy. And it was kind of accepting the reality of like what the worst case scenario was. Mm-hmm. Like you hear, I heard uh, Sam, Sam Zell, Zell right? Uh, total, you know, wealthy investor. Um, he said once I was at a conference he was at, he says, like, if you can live with the worst case scenario, then like do the deal. And so it's kind of that similar mindset. It's like, yeah. I, like once I realized worst case scenarios, like we'd have nothing but a Tahoe and five of us living in it, I'm like, yeah, I'd probably be okay. Yeah. You know, like then it, yeah, like you said, it just totally flips the switch. And then you started looking for, you know, uh, the opportunities that you weren't seeing before. Cause you were just too busy worrying about all the doom and gloom. Right. You so know? flipping, flipping dies down. Uh-huh. And then flipping at a higher scale. Yeah. And then from there, what? So, so then we flipped me and me and Matt, we flipped and then we brought in, um, uh, a third partner, Chris, Chris Ramos. And so in our heyday, when it was the three of us, we were doing for like four years in a row, 50 to 60 houses in a year we were flipping. And so it was just, and 95% of those were MLS purchases. We were just 100% dedicated to the MLS. We had our licenses, so we'd get paid to buy them. Mm-hmm. You know, we'd list them ourselves. We had like, um, at, at the height there for a few years, we had like six crews. So each of us would kind of manage two of them. And they were just two-man crews that would do like 50, 60% of the work. We'd bring in roofers, you know, window guys, like things that they couldn't do. And so then we flip, flip, flipped. And then... Then what had happened is like some of these relationships that we were using to fund our deals, you know, they had excess money, you know, and I also had money in a self-directed IRA. And so it was just kind of natural where some people came to us and and they're like, hey, well, where are you getting your money? Will you lend it to me? And it was kind of like, oh, like I can't lend it to myself. I think then maybe I had like 150 grand and I'm Mm -hmm. like, yeah, well, we'll do a loan for you for my IRA. And so for the first like year or two, we broker our investors money and really, it wasn't a business model. It was kind of more just kind of something new and fun. It's like, yeah, let's put this money together. Let's get these people loans, right? And right. so for the first year or two, it was like really not a money-making opportunity other than to deploy our own funds. And then it slowly started to get traction. You know, our investors ended up having more and more excess money. More and more people kept talking about it. So mm-hmm. if you look at kind of the growth from like, I think we did our first loan in is either 2010 or 2011. It's just like totally, you know, because been more intentional about it yep. over the years, made more of a push to raise more money, you know, to then deploy, got more involved in networking and kind of getting the word out and stuff like that. Right. So right now, flipping, how much are you flipping right now? So it's in an odd world. I'm actually flipping maybe more than as much or more than ever, you know, so now I'm kind of really kind of operating, you know, on my own. Mm-hmm. And so I have, I have, uh, eight flips going right now, plus wow. two small, two separate small developments. And then, you know, doing as much hard money lending volume as ever before. So in a weird way, I'm How flipping more. How are you balancing more. all this? Well, some of it, you get more reps under your belt. So like each flip's not as hard, mm-hmm. right? And I've been lucky to have kind of the same crew, you know, that can handle one or two houses at a time. And they've done so many, it's really kind of like, here's the next house. 
you already mm-hmm. know what to do. Yeah, you know, it's an and assembly I, line at this point. Yeah, but I still like going by to check on them because one, I love seeing the progress and the value creation, and they're great guys, right? So you go mm-hmm. high five them, whatever, you know, mess with them and see how they're doing. Um, and you know, over the years, I've gotten smarter about how to leverage, you know, my time and you know the it's the who versus the how, or you know the who versus the how. Mm-hmm. Get the right person, you know. So I've been more strategic and the contractors that I'm using. So it really can be more of an initial, this deal's good, let's do it. This is the direction we want to head, you know, go with it So type of thing. For 2019, how many houses would you say you flipped? So that's a weird thing. 2019 in a way was a little bit of a transition here with the flips. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause you know, like I said, my partner that I had for like 13 years, awesome dude. There's no way I would have done even hardly any of it without him. We kind of like, you know, kind of split ways a little bit. And so it was a little bit of a transition where the flips. So the reality is I maybe only did like 10, I think I'll close like 10 or 11 flips um, this year yeah. in 2019, but I'll probably do two to three times that just based on the pace Man, for next year. That's just crazy. So one thing that, um, you know, I, I think it's fascinating. So for you guys that have been, you know, following the show for a while, there's uh, Matt, myself and, and Laith Lavada. Uh, in Vegas, and we all were, we were all in the strategic coach program, which I can't recommend enough. I love the program; it's been really beneficial. Yeah. But we're all introducing ourselves. I remember you were on the far side, I was in the middle, and Lath was on the yep. other far side. And you stand, and Todd Swaggerty was there. Yes. And Todd stands up. It's like I'm a printer. <laughs> yeah, I just print for people. Yeah. You stand up. It's like yeah, I'm a I'm a a, a broker in Salt Lake. Or yeah. something like that. Yeah. I stand up. I'm a broker in Phoenix, and Lay stands up like I'm a broker in Vegas. Yeah. And we're all in this world, but for whatever reason, we introduce ourselves. I, I don't know if it's some sort of, uh, you know, want to shy away from judgment. I don't right. know, right? Because Todd's got yellow letter HQ. He's crushing it. Right. You're doing really well in Salt Lake. I'm doing pretty good in Phoenix, and Lay is crushing it in Vegas. Yeah. Um, but it's also kind of a crazy coincidence that we were all in the same room. Cause you said you were still going into it and you're not finding that necessarily. Yeah. I mean, I've talked with other people at strategic and, you know, I just think we were lucky that we yeah. all kind of had a, a similar career path and, and real estate, especially with distressed properties yeah. and we're all in different markets. So you like, what are you doing, man? How do we, <laughs> you know, like share with me your secrets and right. back and forth, you know? So that was. That was way cool. So, and then you're trying something else right now. Or not trying something, you're in something else right now. Um, uh, Genius Network. Yeah, so that's Can you talk here, about that? That's here local in Phoenix or in Tempe. Mm-hmm. And um, I just barely got involved with it, but I was introduced to it from Strategic Coach. Right. So it was kind of like, I've benefited so much from Coach. And I re-enrolled in Coach for a second year. And it was kind of like, you keep, keep getting a little bit of overlap and cross-marketing, right? And they, you know, they openly admit that they're cross-selling mm-hmm. the program. And so, um, you know, it's kind of like the gut instinct with, uh, you know, my buddy in Salt Lake, Matt Atkinson, he introduced me to strategic coach and, you know, it's like, you know, and I'm feeling a vibe here with Genius Network and, you know, I think it's going to be beneficial. I haven't really gone to any meet other than I've joined and I went to their annual event, mm-hmm. but I'm super stoked about it because one thing I haven't, and we'll talk about it, that I have not done well at all is any sort of marketing. And so Genius Network's really kind of a, at, at the core, I think it's kind of a, a marketing and sales and kind of organization, but it's mm-hmm. also like a huge network. And, you know, and we'll talk about this too, but over the years, 
I've really learned slowly, you know, later in life, the value of networking. Oh, and, relationships is everything. And relationships. So um, yeah. the more friends, the better, even if you have to pay for them to start with. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> for sure. Uh, so Salt Lake population, what, what's the population there? Oh, I think the whole state's like three, but metropolitan like Salt Lake, greater Salt Lake County is like uh, 1.5, I think, something like that. Okay. So pretty big, but not Yeah, massive. it's large. Yeah, sure. So how many, you know, competitors, peers do you have in that space? Oh, hard money loans in, in hard, Salt Lake? So hard money loans, um, I would say there's probably three or four that I would say are pretty consistently, you hear them, you know, like, oh, you got your loan from there or you got your loan from mm -hmm. there, right? Like, and there's always a bunch of little, you know, like guys that are maybe just doing two or three on the side or something right. like that. But, you know, and, and so one thing, once I got into more of the networking side of it, I'm like, I want to be friends with everybody, right? So I really try and network hard with even my competitors, mm -hmm. you know, which is totally normal for you guys here, you know, yeah. which is people that I talk to are like, don't you collaborate? Like my buddy and Steve, like, it seems like they're all competitors yet. They're all on the same team. Mm -hmm. And it's really cool to see how it works, right? So it's benefited me a ton getting friendly with my competitors because there'll be a deal they can't do and then they'll call me or I'll, they'll all have a deal that I'm a little short on funds, so I'll call them. And mm -hmm. it doesn't work with everybody. Some personalities just maybe don't get along with great. But yeah, I mean, I'd say there's like three or four, you know, other local guys that I would consider, you know, like um, pretty solid competitors. There's always some out-of-state randomness that comes in that's, you know, entering the market every once in a while. But. Right. So how do you separate yourself from your competition? Well, I like to think, so first and foremost, you never want to jeopardize the um, preservation of capital, right? And the risk of the investor, the money that you're leveraging to loan out, right? Like first and foremost, that is number one, protect that. Mm -hmm. But after that, I like to think, and I've heard the feedback, so I'm hoping it's true. It's like, I want to be the easiest guy to work with. Mm -hmm. You know, one, I want to be smart. Like I said, you know, protect the money. But after that, like, it's kind of common sense, right? Like, let's look at it. And this is where flipping first really benefited me, right? Because I yeah. can put my shoes in the, in the, I can put myself in their shoes, right? Because I've borrowed money this whole time. I mean, mm -hmm. I still borrow money. So I get what it's like to have a deal kind of go sideways. I get that, you know, things don't go always well with the remodel. I get that you're sometimes way more optimistic on the front end, <laughs> you know, so I, I, you know, you can sense the excitements in someone's voice. Relying on the wholesaler's opinion and repairs. Right. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> yeah. It could go for up to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Or it could go for as low as, you right. know. Um, so I want to be as easy as possible to work with, right? Like, I mean, we clearly need to know stuff about the borrower and the property, but, you know, I don't need to make them feel all guilty or whatever for applying for a loan. And I like to be quick in my response back to them because a lot of times when they know that I tell them they're good to go, like it shuts off in their brain that it's like, okay, focus on doing the deal. Don't mm. focus on trying to put it together. Right. So I really do try to, you know, and I'm always working on that, try to make everything a little bit more turnkey. So it's just kind of like, hey, Matt, can we do this? It's like, yeah, let's do it. When? Next Friday? Great. Right. You know, I mean, there's a process to everything, but, you know, um, I think being responsive, being available and being able to just shoot straight with them, you know, is, is maybe an advantage I have. There's some things with the 
with the mechanics of doing the loan, like how we set up the loan and maybe if, you know, like deferring payments or LTV, you know, we could talk about, but yeah. it might also give us strategic advantage. But I think everybody in Utah anyway is pretty much the same price. So you're not competing on price. I think you're more competing just on service mm-hmm. and relationship. So on that, you know, if you're not competing on price, you're on the, po- you know, you're going to share right now. You jumped on the plane this morning, flew out here, which I appreciate. Yeah. Someone's got to be handling your phone calls. So yeah. what does your organization look like with you not being physically present? So, yeah, I mean, I'm over at the Eggs USA next door, whatever mm-hmm. it's called, you yeah. know, grabbing Wi-Fi, USA, USA yeah. whatever it is, grabbing Wi-Fi. You know, this is the thing I love about this business, but it also kind of drives you crazy. But you know, it's coming like this morning when I'm like, OK, I think everything's under control. Everything's put to bed. No, we you got, can't say that. We got two or three <laughs> loans closing this week. It's kind of the, the week before Christmas, you know, and then it's like I literally have three deals in the last two hours, they're mm-hmm. like, we need to close Friday. It's like, oh, great. Thanks. You know, like <laughs> I'll get back to you at three o'clock, what I've done with Steve. But yeah. the short answer is I do have an, a full-time assistant that is helping out a ton with the flips and a little bit of the brokerage and evaluating deals, following up on some of the existing loans. But really I'm the intake for any new leads, underwriting, putting it all together. So your answer is, those phone calls I'm taking. So those I'm, three that need to close this Friday yeah. are new. Yeah, for these aren't this like, morning. These aren't like, hey, Matt, I know we we're talking about closing in, in the 28th. I need you to pull those in. This is not that. No, situation. it's like, hey, I we're supposed to close Friday. <laughs> it's like, sweet. So just a couple of days, no big deal. You know, yeah. I so mean, that, new file, new file. Yeah. <laughs> so I do have a, like kind of a strategic partnership. And I'm realizing over the years that this is so critical, you know, a local title company mm-hmm. that you know, my kind of setup is, you know, kind of the face, whatever, you know, customer relations, sourcing borrowers, also sourcing investor funds, but then really all the underwriting, putting the deal together, evaluating it, packaging it up, sending it off for investor approval. You know, that's all me. And then I kind of hand it off and say, Hey, this is the deal. This is when it needs to close. And then the title company takes it from there and they're phenomenal. I wouldn't even do any of this without, without them. Um, they do the docs, the escrow, you know, coordinate to the trust account, investor funds, borrower funds. And I mean, they do all the heavy lifting from that point, mm-hmm. but you know, you know, it's kind of like the thing you got to be prepared for in this business. Cause we don't have a fund, right? Like I'm, you know, if you need a loan, I've got 13 different investors on this side. So it's just all one-off trustee investing. So it's kind of a game of Tetris, right? Like, so at times I have a little bit more money here where they're like, Matt, I need to get this money out. Like one guy, one of my investors, Tim's like, I need to get another million bucks out by the end of the year. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, that's great. You know, let's just wait till we have, an, you know. So I have that balance of like, sometimes I have more money than I have deals. And sometimes I have more deals and I have money. Mm-hmm. I don't just have a pot of money sitting here that I'm paying interest on with a, with a hurdle rate. So I'm, you know, so I got to always kind of have a good relationship with my investors to know what their liquidity is like. So when, you know, Lathe calls me, fictional character Lathe, right? Mm-hmm. When Lathe calls me and says, Hey, I need to close Friday. I already kind of know like, great, Tim could do this. Let's look at the deal. Yeah. Okay. We can do it Friday. Right. You know, and it's the same pricing yeah. regardless of the borrower or the investor. Pretty much. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, so one thing we, you, you, I completely forgot. So the brokerage. Yeah. 
What's that about? I mean, you're, you've got these other two things going on. Talked about the brokerage. So the brokerage is, uh, it's super small. It's just, just pretty much me and I have like five or six agents. Mm-hmm. Some of those agents are active investors and I'll provide them with the hard money loans. I started out always having my license and we always had one of us along the way always had a broker's license. So we would always get paid to buy our own deal. So it was like, I'm not, let's just create our own brokerage, right? Mm-hmm. Cause like, you know, so I do have a brokerage now. I think I told you before, I like to think I have four buckets now. I have the hard money, the flips, long-term rentals, and then a brokerage. Really the brokerage just kind of facilitates all the transactions mm-hmm. for the, you know, for the flips, for the hard money and for the long-term rentals. So, you know, I, I sense kind of a little bit of a reorganization last year and a half. I just have my own brokerage now. Mm-hmm. I just completely made it up. It means nothing. It's called Conrad Cruz Real Estate Services. I bought a duplex yeah. from a guy named Conrad. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I love his name. You know, I'm like, <laughs> my name's Matt, right? I, I want a cool name. So You're saying Matt's lending's not going to go? No. And <laughs> so the brokerage side of it, I call Conrad Cruz because I'm like, Conrad kind of needs a last name, mm-hmm. you know? So it's kind of like the Dos Equis guy. So mm-hmm. I kind of a running joke with the title company. I'm like, dude, Conrad needs his commission check, yeah. you know? And he doesn't exist. It's just, so my logo is a palm tree and, <laughs> and a house. I, I like palm trees and houses. So, yeah. so the brokerage, that's kind of the function of the brokerage really just to kind of help it's facilitate. Kind of there. And it obviously brings in, you know, a little bit of money from the deals that, mm-hmm. you know, the agents do, but it really kind of just is lunch money kind of covers the nut of certain things. So let's pretend. Yeah. And we've had this conversation before offline. Yeah. But let's pretend I was going to start a hard money company Yep. in Phoenix. Okay. There's a lot of guys here. There's no shortage. I've actually had two of them on the show. Yeah. 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 Right. So you're going to you know, counsel me, right? Right. Matt, I want to start a hard money private lending company. Right. What do I do? Well, I think you might want to first just check with like what legalities mm-hmm. there may or may not be involved, right? So I don't know if you're going to need a license here. I think there's, I think seven states last time I looked that you need a, a, a lending license, a mortgage license to do private loans, hard money loans, being business or commercial in nature, right? Consumer loans, obviously you're going to need a a mortgage license, Mm -hmm. but some states, most of the states actually do not require you to have um, a mortgage license to originate business purpose or commercial loans on a single family residence. Mm -hmm. I can't, I don't know in Arizona, I think you probably have to have a license. So if you have to have a license then you're probably going to have to have a license underneath a PLM, right? So I would first and foremost, check out that, Mm -hmm. right? Then you got to make sure what you do, you understand how the game works, right? Who's going to be borrowing the money and what are they going to be doing with it? And how are you going to get paid back? So don't start off as a hard money lender before wholesaling. No, 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 no. You need to have some, I mean, we could go on for hours of stories of guys that maybe lent in second or lent without recording a note or a deed, you know? Oh man. So you've got to understand obviously real estate in general, like what, collateral looks like, what first lien position looks like, what second lien position looks like. Obviously you got to have a great relationship with the title company that can help you navigate, you know, some of those issues. And then you got to have money, Mm -hmm. right? And then you got to get your message out. And then, you know, the hard money is what does your money look like? I mean, there's so many different ways you can play the game, right? You know, do you have a fund or are you just sourcing money like I am from, you know, individual investors one at a time? Um, but I, I would say it's just like flipping. To be successful in doing hard money, you've got to understand what ARVs look like, what maybe a rehab budget looks like, and then obviously have a model 
that you can follow to, you know, determine whether that guy you're lending to mm -hmm. has a successful exit, which if he has a successful exit, you're probably going to have a successful payback, mm -hmm. right? So where things go wrong is somewhere along that process. And that's where it's helped to flip because you can understand where those, you know, things are going to go sideways right. and at least mitigate for them by the amount of money you lend or know when you got to own it and get involved and help them, you know, correct course. So you find yourself handholding a little bit with some of the folks. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of probably that 80, 20 rule, like 80% you kind of forget about. It's like, mm -hmm. oh, you paid this off. Congratulations. You know, yeah. like, uh, and then the 20% you're like, oh, why do we do this loan? <laughs> you know, but as long as we have good values, we're going to get out of it. Okay. Mm -hmm. Right. But you know, on a couple right now, I've had to bring in a contractor to help them. You know, unfortunately we're foreclosing on a couple of properties. And then, you know, in the parking lot, I was having just like one of those super candid discussions with a borrower, you know, of like, listen, you got to tell people there's not money going to be left over. You've overpriced the home. You've overspent. It's a year on the market. You're going to lose money. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes people get investors, especially if they're new, they get lost in this world because they don't know what they don't know. They think it all looks good on paper from their coaching seminar mm -hmm. or whatever, right? Yeah. And they, they think it all looks good. Like, oh, I know what an ARV is. I know what the budget is and blah, blah, blah. But once they get in the middle of it, you kind of lose your head. Some people just lose their minds and they, they're dealing in this alternate universe. You know, I don't really? know, like where they want the reality to be different than what <laughs> it really is. Of course. So in this one example, they have this house listed. I'm not lying. It's been listed at 700, between 710 and 730,000 for a year. And I'm like, guys, the market is telling you they're just it's waiting too for high. the market to catch up. But that's what they say. So, well, we just switched realtors and it's going to be better in the spring. I'm like, yeah, okay, maybe it is, but you're clipping at five grand a month, right? Like, so yeah. sometimes people need help getting to reality because mm -hmm. they can't get there themselves because they haven't been through it before. And, you know, you're so scared of losing money. I mean, everyone's scared of losing money, of right? Course. You're not doing the flip to lose money. But sometimes the best thing you can do is just Cut your losses. Cut your losses and move on. Yeah. Which I've done plenty of times. Oh, I have too. I always tell people, you know, one of the, my borrowers, uh, he's a real successful flipper in Salt Lake, John Maxim. So if he's listening, um, he's a stud, but he texts me once. He's like, I'm doing a presentation at the local RIA. Have you ever lost money on a deal? I start laughing. I'm like, which 35 do you want me to ship, you know, <laughs> case study for you? You know, right. so I've lost plenty of money on deals. Yeah, we've we've lost we've lost plenty, and there there are ones that we commit to, and that's the problem. We're committing to deals that maybe we didn't quite do our due diligence on. Oh yeah, hundred percent. I still make the mistake. Yeah, which is kind of like oh it was oh well, just, yeah. you know, volume will help you or kill you, but usually if you're smart, volume's going to save you. Right. Because you're going to get just as lucky on some as you are unlucky on some. Yeah, definitely. So you mentioned that there's a few different sort ways, right? So there's uh, there's the fund. Yeah. There's the catching, you know, the investors one at a time. Yep, you got 13 yep, of them. Yep. And was there another one or were those the two primary? I mean, that's pretty much it unless you have your own funds, which yeah. a lot of guys do and go small. Maybe they just have their own IRA or something like that. I know mm -hmm. a bunch of guys like that that maybe have like four or 500,000 and they'll just lend that out till they're done, you know, and they won't try to grow beyond that. They'll just be totally content lending their own money. And then let's just talk about that for an instant, uh, for, for, for a second. So if I have this fund uh -huh. and I'm lending out of it, as long as the funds get in the points and the payments, that's all cool, right? I just can't personally make money off of it. Oh, if it's in your IRA? Yeah. Yeah, 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 right. Like you can't personally benefit from anything other than just your direct investment, mm -hmm. you know, like 
Um, so you do got to be careful with your IRA funds, but a lot of our investors are providing their IRA money to mm -hmm. invest with us, right? right? But they're just getting a direct return. Yeah, I'm talking about the guys that, that you know that are using their own money. Right, right, right. Yeah. Okay, so then what advice would you give someone? Again, you know, like let's just say it's me. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. And I want to start my hard money lending, right? You developed these 13 relationships. How did you go about creating these relationships? Some of them were established, right? So I go back to when I worked for this self um, self funded um, insurance agency, right? So Dave, um, one, he's just an awesome dude. So you can't replace that. Like mm -hmm. I lucked out that he's just an awesome dude that was successful. But then after I left, he became even more successful. And so I re-rounded back to him and he's like, D Dave, let me tell you what I'm doing now. And so one, I think you got to get a track record with them. And so if you can get a track record with them with your own deals and get them comfortable to know like how it works, just like, you know, when you're flipping, right? You're a lot more comfortable buying your 10th flip than you are your first flip. Mm -hmm. So you got to get some reps under their belt. So whenever I bring someone new on, I really want to try and get them like as a layup as possible for their first loan yeah. so that the experience will be as smooth as possible. Cause then they get a little bit of- You're dating. You're dating, right? And then they get a little bit of comfort. They see it come back. That, that's the one thing I like about our model is it's not just paper money, right? Like when the loan pays off, I'll say, Steve, your loan just paid off. Here's a reconciliation of what we owe you. Does this look good? Yeah, it looks good. Okay, great. Here's your 250 plus interest back. Mm -hmm. And you actually get it back, right? Yeah. And then, but I may say in the same day, oh, hey, Steve, by the way, here's a new loan for 250,000, mm -hmm. send it back. So then there is some value and something real in like, it's like getting change back, right? Instead of just paper money, like mm -hmm. just a statement showing that you have this money, like they'll see a wire go back and forth. So that builds confidence is, is ultimately what this does. It builds confidence in the machine, confidence in the process, confidence in our ability to do what we say we're going to do with underwrite the deal correctly, manage the process and get the loan paid back right. and provide a good experience for the borrower. So, and then you'll see every personality is different, right? Just like you know, everybody's blue, red, green or whatever, right? Like, mm -hmm. so some investors I would send the same email to say like, Hey Tim, here's the deal. Would you like to fund 320,000? If he's at his desk, like two minutes later, yeah, Matt, let's do it. You know, maybe a different guy would be like, well, tell me a little bit about the borrower. You know, does he like green color green? What, you know, like some, so you gotta be anticipating the hot buttons for your investors, right? Mm -hmm. Some guys want a little bit of different detail. Some guys don't care. Ultimately, they all wanna make sure their money's safe, right? But um, um, so that's how I get them is just try to get them a layup, communicate with them, give them a realistic update of like when the money might be coming mm -hmm. back, talk to them about it, their experience, are they liking it? And then also, I don't ever want to pry too much, but it's like, well, you just did 200, you like this, would you have other funds that you'd like to commit so I can know to put you in the rotation? Yeah, so that's great for your first one. Yeah. And potentially the second one. Are you actively trying to add more to it? Yes. Okay, so what are you doing to get more? Sometimes I'll, um, sometimes I've just the benefit of, I guess, dumb luck, where like I have a couple of investors that they'll tell their brother to call me, mm -hmm. they'll tell their business associate to call me, they'll tell their friend to call me. So I get referrals 
from my existing base of investors. Because sometimes they'll see, they're like, oh, I really like what Matt's doing. Yeah. Um, you know, they're at lunch with their buddies and they're like, you know, everyone talks about like, what are you doing to invest, right? So sometimes the word just naturally gets spreads around. Um, and then I've tried to like practice my like 30 minute elevator speed or mm -hmm. 30 second, not 30 minute, like it's 30 second. Yeah, ride. it's a long elevator ride. <laughs> you know, so I have gotten people on board just through that casual conversation of like, hey, what do you do? Well, I do, you know, hard money lending. Well, what does that look like? And then I'll maybe tell them. And then I'm not like the aggressive closer mm -hmm. at all. It'd just be like, well, if you ever are interested in maybe getting involved, let me know. And so then we kind of show them, you know, I'll show them how it works, what the return looks like. And uh, some, a lot of people jump on board that way. And then, you know, you were saying like the rates are the rates in Salt Lake. And we've yeah. talked about it. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. what you guys charge in Salt it's Lake. It's cheap. I know. Would never fly in Phoenix, right? It's super affordable. So what, what is your typical? <laughs> so um, this is pretty typical for Salt Lake. For a yeah. first position, deed of trust, yeah, first position loan, um, leverage, you know, maybe 85%, maybe 90% of purchase price. Mm -hmm. We're at two points and 12% for six months. Oh. Um, everyone does a little different. There's some guys in town that will do hundred percent, but they'll match it with a second. And mm -hmm. that second's like at four and 16. If the value's there, even if we do end up going to hundred percent, I'll still just do two and 12. Right. And the one thing we do a little bit different, um, part of it was because when we started, we didn't realize we were going to be doing a lot of hard money loans and we didn't want to be a servicer. So if the value's there, which usually it is, I don't require payments because I don't, want to collect payments, mm. right? And so sometimes this can be a problem if it goes a little longer because obviously that balance is accruing up. Um, but in general, we don't require payments. So that's one advantage we have. Yeah, Most that's other, a big advantage. But part of that is like how you pitch it to your investors. Mm -hmm. Like I pitch it to them because, you know, I just say, hey, you'll get paid when the loan pays off. And they've never done this before. They're okay right. with that. Yeah. You know, so if I tell them we're going to make, we're going to give you a payment on the fifth of every month, you know how many nightmares I'm going to have on the sixth of every month <laughs> when I don't send them the payment because right. then I'm going to be harassing, you know, so one, that's one thing we did to make life easy for ourselves, but it also ends up being a really cool strategic advantage. Yeah, it is. Because if we underwrite it right, then, I mean, cause I've been in their shoes, right? The last thing you want to worry about if you have four flips going on is stroking a check for interest payments for 15 grand every oh, yeah. month. The, the cash flow is killer. So I'd rather see the home. I'd rather see that money ideally being plowed into the remodel, mm -hmm. right? So that they're establishing that ARV as quick as possible because then we all win. Right. You know, I'd much rather do that than have someone making me payments and not paying the cabinet guy. Uh, makes total sense. You know? Uh, what are you typically borrowing at? So uh, we will, our hurdle rate to our investors is anywhere between nine and 10%. Okay. And that's only when it's withdrawn. Correct. It's not all the time. That's the other advantage to our model. Mm -hmm. right? It's only being paid while it's being used. Right. We have every once in a while experimented with the model of like taking a million bucks from a guy and kind of committing like we're going to pay you 9% or whatever it is for the year. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of pressure on that because right. I can't imagine a world where let's say I had like 30 million bucks sitting here. I'd make some really bad loans Yeah. because your interest is working against you. You got to get it out. You might be saying yes to loans that you shouldn't be saying yes to just to get the money out. Yeah, um, RJ was on a show last week and he's flipping in like 10 different markets. Huh, and that's he, insanity. And he was saying, yeah, one of the reasons why he made so many bad decisions is because he had all this money he had yeah. to use. It's dangerous. Yeah. A lot of money is like, I've, you know, you go back and forth over like, if I could just have like, 
I think it's super like it would be dangerous to have unlimited money. Well, it would be great if you had unlimited money that didn't have uh, a cost to it, right? <laughs> but when, like, if someone, I would turn away. If someone said, "Here, here's ten million bucks. It's at six percent," I'd probably still say no. And if yeah. they said a million or two million, I'd probably be able to manipulate that because I know our deal deal flow is pretty good. But you know, it did make me a little nervous if we had a big pot of cash sitting there that we had to pay on. Right. So we talked about on the hard money side, you're lending, right? But now you're pretty busy flipping. Yep. So how are you sourcing your deals, flipping properties? So flipping properties, um, I still hunt the MLS, right? Because I s started and I've always hunted the MLS. So there are still deals today on the MLS. I bought one last week on the MLS. Wow. You know, so, um, you know, just the regular way, you know, I set up hot sheets, look for keywords, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, the one I bought on the MLS recently was one where, you know, it just been under contract. It fell out of contract. It felt, you know, and I just stuck to my price. And over the years too, just in general, I think we bought more properties by being in second or third place than we did being the first offer. So sometimes the best thing you can do is be in second place mm -hmm. because that first person might not perform. Mm -hmm. And then if you, you know, and we definitely closed on houses that didn't make sense just to keep a relationship with the community that will close. Right. Because then we did get that other deal the next time, you yeah. know? And so uh, I buy stuff from wholesalers, guys like you in Salt Lake, you know, guys like Cody that was on, mm -hmm. um, Clay and, and Brian. I mean, there's a bunch of, of uh, wholesalers in Utah that are great, that do a great job. So I'll buy stuff from wholesalers. Um, and I've been in it long enough. I have a couple bird dogs that are agents or just whoever that, that, you know, I'll try and be super exclusive with them. When they find a deal, I'll pay them before it closes. Mm -hmm. Like I don't want them taking it anywhere else. Before it closes. Oh yeah. How does that work? I just like prepay them. I don't care. I'll just prepay them their does commission. Does that pay out a title fee. or is that paid? Let's say, Nick, here's your money, bro. <laughs> <laughs> every, every little bit helps. Every little, every little advantage. So just all the traditional ways. One thing I, I don't do is kind of the foundation for your business and most of your guests is I don't go direct to the seller. Yeah. I tried that for a little bit in the short sale frenzy of like sending out mailers mm -hmm. and whatever. It's just like, dude, I just couldn't figure it out. <laughs> uh, Ricky wants to know, is a traditional pay for an application when you apply for a hard money loan? For instance, uh, what, there's a company he mentioned that has a processing application fee for 297. Uh, we don't. I could see how like a bigger institutional company would want to do that for some reason, but no, I don't. I don't charge anything until the loan pays. I mean, I don't even collect a fee until the loan pays off. Yeah, and that's pretty typical. I don't hear yeah. a lot of people charging application fees. No, I think that's kind of a red flag, maybe a little bit. Yeah, I would be concerned by that. Sharissa um, should be open to paying points if there was no monthly payment. Cash flow of cash flow up front, make the extra point worth it. I, I agree. Well, what you do the math a little bit. Sometimes where it's like, well, that other guy will give me a little bit more, you know, loan to value. And I'm like, well, let's look at it. If you have a 10 or a, or a six month process, and let's say you're borrowing 300 grand, you know, that's 18, 20,000 bucks in payments, mm -hmm. you know, like let's figure out a way to get that or a little bit of it up front, you know, and then you don't have to worry about it. Right. And if you create enough value like that, property that I was talking about was like 715,000 going on a year. Mm -hmm. Our loan balance, even after a year and a half with maybe an extension fee here and there, it's only at 400 and I think it was 458,000. Mm. So when I have those conversations with borrowers, they're like, well, what should we do? Uh, you know, I'm like very clear, like, keep in mind, we're on 
we're in the same game, but we're on totally different sides of the field, right? Like you could probably go another year with accruing interest and I still have like a hundred grand equity. Mm-hmm. Now you're already at negative equity. So, you know, um, so I guess my point is though, like I still haven't required them to make one payment mm-hmm. in 18 months. I mean, there's 120 grand of interest that's just accrued. Mm-hmm. I don't care. Right. I mean, my loan's at 450 and the house is easily worth all day long, 650, 625. So it's six months due in six. Yep. And you've had a couple of extension fees in there. Oh yeah. What, at which point do you start the foreclosure process? So that's funny. This is very relevant because I was talking to them. They're like, when would you foreclose? And I'm mm-hmm. like, listen, I kind of explained the whole value thing, right? I'm like, I'm at 450. You have it listed at 715. Let's just say it sells at six, which is a hundred grand plus what you have it listed at now. I'm still getting like a hundred grand in equity above and beyond my full payout. I said, so in some ways don't pay me back. But I said, <laughs> The reality is, is we just, we all need this to move on. So mm-hmm. I, I told them, I said, if you're not going to drop the price, then I'm going to foreclose, right? Because this house needs to sell. Yeah. But if they're going to drop the price to 675, well, I'm going to work with them. It's like a community banker. Exactly. Yeah. So that's where the key to is communication on both sides. If you're my borrower, just tell me what's going on. Like, you know what? If you screwed up, you blew your rehab budget in Vegas or whatever, just tell me and then I'll work with you. Right. But don't avoid it. Don't give me that's, false realities. That's how I know for sure we're not doing business again. When people are not returning calls or yeah, yeah, yeah. always someone's in the hospital. Yes. Um, all right. So Bernard Mack wants to know, will you continue lending in a uh, market downturn? Yes. I'd look at it um, like flipping, right? Like, mm-hmm. so I benefited in flipping. I really, I mean, I've lost money on houses, right? But some of that's just because maybe we were doing too many at a time. You know, I always look back and I was like, I actually underwrote that right. We just blew our budget for some reason. But I like to think about it like sometimes like the stock market, it's like dollar cost averaging. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're always evaluating the deal relevant to like the most recent six comps, not getting over your skis and saying, well, the comps tell me it's worth a hundred, but I think it's gonna be worth 120. I mean, that's getting a little bit speculative. Mm-hmm. If you're always kind of staying within, you know, kind of your underwriting guidelines of, then I think from a lender standpoint, yeah, there's still exposure, but if I'm getting 10, 15, 20% down payment, they're putting in the rehab, even if the market turns a little bit, like again, we're on two different sides of the table, I think I'm still gonna be fine. Right. Our average loan amount, like, so when I calculate what our payoff is, um, and not the estimated RV, the actual ARV, like what it's recording on Dang. the MLS, we're averaging are about 65 to 70% of final loan to value. Mm. So that final, even with the accrued interest. So we still are kind of ending up on average with a 30% cushion in the loan amount. So in theory, like prices could drop 10% and you know, we're going to get paid back. Now the deal might not produce a profit, but yeah, the the smart lenders I've heard always make sure they get paid back. But going back to the dollar, just kind of finish that thought, like, you don't know, no one has a crystal ball, right? Mm-hmm. When you're buying and buying and buying and it's going up, yeah, you're gonna get hurt right here, right? But you're gonna benefit because you don't know, like we benefited big time. We didn't know when the bottom was, but we were just buying the whole time. And the cycle's quick enough that, you know, when you're projecting maybe a $20,000 profit, maybe you make 10, who cares, yeah. right? Because then when the bottom hits and you're thinking it's gonna be a 20, all of a sudden you're like, wow, we just made 50. Whoa, we just made, we just doubled, we just screwed up 
and paid twice in rehab, but we still made 40, right? Yeah. And so- Oh, I remember those times when that, that shift, I mean, my next door neighbor's house, I still regret not buying it. You yeah. Know, just, it, it, I don't know what happened, but like, it felt like overnight, every house in Phoenix appreciated 40K. Yeah, right, right. And just missed that, just missed that little window. Uh, so Bernard also wants to know, what's your criteria for your long-term rentals versus flipping? So I have, and I don't know them all by myself, you know, I have partners on some of them. Uh, we have, I have 46 different rentals right now. And so I've been super spoiled. So that's why I've had a hard time buying rentals this last year, because whether I knew it or not, every rental I've got was basically doing the Burr method. At first I didn't realize I was doing the Burr method, but mm -hmm. it just kind of worked out. And then I was more intentional about it. And now like I kind of can't stomach leaving money in a rental because even the two apartments we have, we bought them with private money or cash, mm -hmm. fixed them up, re-rented them at higher rates, got commercial bank refinance loans. I mean, I'm into my rentals, legitimately no money out of pocket. Now for a year or two there, I was out of pocket money, but then we refinanced them. So my criteria, you know, you asked and maybe you'll get to it, but one of my favorite books is uh, The Millionaire Real Estate Investor by mm -hmm. uh, Gary, Keller. Gary Keller. So I think, you'll be money in the bank if you stick to that like 1% rule. Mm -hmm. You know, right now it's not even possible. It is. It is. In the other half some. of the country. Oh, sure. Yeah. Then that's a whole another debate about like how smart is it to have six different single family home rentals mm -hmm. in Michigan, right? Like right. anyway, but um, that aren't appreciating, that are cash flowing, that who knows who's managing them. But right. so if you can hit the 1% rule, I, you know, assuming you get a decent 30 year fixed, you're, you're going to be money in the bank, right? Oh, 100%. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, Trill REI wants to know, how will you vet a private lender? So I would ask for referrals and I would all just in general with anything, if it's really complicated and it's not straightforward, I, I, there might be a red flag, right? Like I always tell people, this is a complicated process, but at the end of the day, it's very, very simple. You have a house, you want to flip it. You have a plan. Let's verify that plan. Let's do the deal. Mm -hmm. Right? Like, I mean, obviously we need to understand terms and then there's the nuance of like, how are we going to close it? Where are you going to go? But if we're talking like really complicated terms or structure, I mean, there's probably a red flag. It's two and 12 for six months. You know what? Get the house done. Let's follow up along the way. If you need an extension, talk to me. We'll right. do an extension. If you get stuck, let me know. We don't have, I don't have any like hidden appraisal fees or doc prep fees, or it's just two and 12. I mean, this is my other theory. One, be super easy to work with, but I'd rather do 20 loans with Steve Trang than mm -hmm. one and destroy him on the one. All right. Right? Like yeah. when you're day 181, it's like, okay, here's five point extension fee. You yeah. know, like <laughs> I'm not gonna do that because I'd rather do a lot of loans with you than just mm -hmm. the one. Um, and, uh, and that, that's proven to be pretty good because then you get, you know, people talk, it's like, Hey, he's easy to work with, you know, he's reasonable. Um, so I get a lot of referrals, which I really, really appreciate. Right. You know, oh, that's, that's the best way to know they're doing a good job. Uh, Kiki wants to know, why do you think it's so hard for first time flippers to get funding? <sighs> Maybe finding the deal. Let's say you have the deal though. Let's say you have a good deal. Like, you know, one quick aside, like I track all of our borrowers and our average borrower purchase price to ARV is about 70%, mm -hmm. right? So that 70% rule holds pretty true. 
right? Like 70% of ARV, you're kind of hunting in the right neighborhood as a flipper, depending on the rehab, that that's mm-hmm. going to be a deal that makes sense. Now, I think where it makes 100% sense is take ARV um, times 80% minus the rehab, right? Like that is probably going to be a deal that you can make money on no matter what. So right. let's say you fit that criteria, you have the money. Where I see borrowers, uh, first-time homeowners getting stuck is really pretty much just maybe a down payment or rehab fund requirement. You know, you need three pieces, right? You need to have the house, you need to have money, and then you need to have a plan, which is usually a contractor. Like if you have those three things, which I think the most important one is getting a good deal on the house, mm-hmm. you're you're going to find the money. And if you're smart enough, resourceful enough, you're going to figure out who's going to help you rehab it. Right. So I always give people a real extreme example, like out of the gate, we're 85% of cost, not 70% of some subjective, arguable ARV, mm-hmm. but 85% of cost. But I mean, I'll fund hundred percent for people at times, you know, I mean, the extreme example is if you getting a house for a hundred, it needs 25 in repair and it's going to ARV at 250, I, I'll give you 100% plus the rehab money. Right. Right. Because it's no different than buying it at 180, putting 30 down and having the ARV. Mm-hmm. So a lot of it's depending on how good of a deal you're getting. Yeah. If you're getting a crappy deal, we may be at 70% of mm-hmm. cost. Uh, let's see. Uh, so Amar wants to know approximately how much are your average re- rental costs on your flips and average turnaround? So I guess your renovation and your flips, how much was, what's your typical? Man, there's no such thing as like a cheap, you know, carpet and paint anymore. You know, mm-hmm. one, it's good for the, con- you know, for the, the people buying it because the competitions increased the quality of mm-hmm. the remodels for sure. And so it just depends. I haven't done a flip. Well, I did one r- true carpet and paint rehab that was going to be like 10, but I would bet my average budget's like 40 to 45. Really? Yeah. Wow. Is that a lot or not? It's a lot. Dude, I just spent, here's like the fail story. I just did this flip, freaking awesome house. I got sideways on it though. I should have just torn the thing down Mm -hmm. because it had a huge like six car garage. So I was just like, this was just last year. I was just in love with this garage. And so I'm like, the house will just, the garage will sell the house. Mm -hmm. But the house was this old 1950s, like I needed to dig out the basement. I should have just torn the house down and build a new house. But I got into that. It was like the money trap, right? So I spent $135,000 on a 1,500 square foot house. I dug a foot out of the basement, you know, like I did the roof, the inspectors, like, you know, whole story with the city inspectors. Anyway, here's your successful flipping story. Um, 135 grand in rehab, I lost $2,000 on the deal. So that's a really good return. You that's know? not too bad considering how much you probably went over budget. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, Matthew Apple wants to know what states do you fund in? So 90 to 95% of everything's in Salt Lake. Kind of going back to your question of how would you set it up, right? Like mm-hmm. you got to be familiar with the state you're working in. So I'm a licensed uh, loan officer in Utah. I'm licensed under a mortgage um, entity and 95% of our stuff's in Utah. So I do have done some random loans out of state, like, you know, for uh, guys that, that I know from Utah that I can trust that are in other states. Um, but I don't do a lot of that, you know, because I don't, it's a little bit of a gray area for me because I'm not as comfortable with the laws or whatever there. Mm-hmm. So I may be going a little bit rogue in some of those areas. So I, I have done, you know, maybe 10 different states, but we're talking like one loan here or there. Mm-hmm. But the other reason to stick local, is just like, well, you flip local. You can go see it, touch it, feel it. You know, your you investors know have confidence, you know yeah. it. Um, so running your operation, your organization, as far as the just the hard money side, uh-huh. 
What's your monthly overhead in running that operation? Uh, like not a lot. Very little. Nothing. I mean, I rent an office for two hundred seventy-five dollars a month. Really. I sponsor the local RIAs. Um, I speak at the RIAs. I network as much as I can. Um, there's not a lot of. I mean, if you count overhead as far as my cost of money, but we're talking like no. sticks and bricks. Right. Yeah. There's Just not a lot. keeping your business running. Yeah. Wow. Okay. My cell phone. <laughs> Good over Ryzen or whatever. My texting plan. Right. <laughs> <laughs> What's your biggest struggle right now? So my biggest struggle right now, I wrote that down. Um, it's definitely balancing growth with risk, right? So, and scaling, right? Mm. How many bring on help? how to bring them on, you know, how to train them. That I would say is my biggest struggle is, is just deciding, you know, sometimes less is more, sometimes more is better, mm -hmm. you know? And I, where I've been deficient over the years is I have not been good. Like I look at what you do and I'm just like, how, you know, you leverage so well, like your time mm -hmm. and your relationships and you delegate and you're really good at the, the who versus the how. Yeah. I've always been kind of more of like, oh, it'll take me five minutes. I'll just do it, right? Like, oh, I can do the spreadsheet. I can do this. I can do that. I can do that. And then all of a sudden you're doing everything. And so coach has helped me a ton mm -hmm. to learn and to implement, not just learn, but actually do more of the who's going to help me versus Where the how. are you on the Colby test? You know, um, I can't remember my numbers. Hmm. I'm pretty even though. I'm like sixes. Who was our coach? Adrian Duffy. Yeah, she's going to be pissed. Yeah. She's going to be very disappointed. Well, I know. I get that sticker every time. I know. Some things you remember really well. <laughs> you know, you can give me a street, an address in Salt Lake, and I can walk you through it. But yeah. I don't remember some stuff very well. So I'm just really fortunate. You know, we're talking about the delegation. Yeah. Right? Like, it might look like, man, it's really good at delegating. But really, I'm just really lazy. Right? Like, you know, growing up, oldest of six boys. Um, and I remember, like, the one of the quotes is, you know, if you want to figure out how to get it done easily give it to the lazy guy. Right, right, right. And he'll figure out how to get it done Yeah, in a streamlined so way, right? And yep. so it might look like, man, it's really cool what he's done, but I've been really lazy for a long time. And I just force myself yeah. by starting all these different things. You know, it's kind of like, I think like Dan Sullivan talks about, is my job is just to get the boulder going. Right. And once that boulder's going, it's like, all right, you know, you two, you three, keep that boulder going. I'm going to go start another boulder. Well, and part of over the years, maybe been a pride thing. We're like, well, I want to be the one that does it all, right? Yeah. That's like not real smart, right? Because, mm -hmm. you know, I, I think actually I was listening, reading a Dan Sullivan quote the other day that said something to the effect, and I know I'm going to get it wrong, but like, you know, the proof of your impact is like how many people can do everything else really well. Mm -hmm. For I'm saying that wrong, but you know what I'm saying. Like, oh yeah, that sounds great. You know what I mean? Like, that's where you're. You know, you're successful is because really you've empowered mm -hmm. a bunch of other people. And so, you know, naturally for me, flipping, I I still can't like hook up a toilet. So naturally, I had no skills in that regard. Mm -hmm. So that was a natural like find the who, mm -hmm. right? Who's going to do this? But with all the other like back end office stuff or whatever, I'm like, oh, I'm I am probably figure that out, you know, right. and half the time it ends up you could being kind of broken and slow. And so growth, managing growth versus risk is probably, I would say the thing that keeps me up at night. Yeah. Cause yeah, I want to go, 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 go. One thing I love about hard money and flipping is like, it's like, an, like, even though it's maddening, like, it's kind of like crack, right? Mm -hmm. I love that. Like new call, let's do this deal Friday. Like, you know, I love the action. Mm -hmm. That's where I'm not real good at like a land developer 
because it's like super patient, wait for mm. the planning commission to get back to you. You know, I'm like, Steve, you want to do, do it Friday? Let's go, let's go. You know, and then right. the next one, the next one, the next one. Yeah, no, the driver, the driver in you. Yeah. Uh, what is your superpower? So uh, as much as I say I like going, 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 I, I feel like I am pretty patient. Um, I feel like I'm pretty consistent at what I do every day. Sometimes the consistency is not a positive thing, mm -hmm. right? But I'm at least fairly consistent. Yeah, I think, you know, I'm fairly positive and optimistic, right? So I think that keeps you moving in the right direction. I don't really say I have a major superpower other than just kind of keep it going every day. Darren Hardy says that's the most important one. Uh, what is the greatest lesson you've learned? Um, just to keep going, right? So like going back to that story of like, you know, having that thought of living it, like there's tomorrow's always a new day, right? The sun's always going to come up, you know, like sometimes you have really never try to make a really important decision at night, right? Cause you usually have like darker thoughts and like, you know, but the sun always comes up. Mm -hmm. It's always going to come up. And if all ended tomorrow, like you got to this point you can just build it back up again. Right. Not that you want to be reckless, but it's like, and I didn't start from zero, but in a way it felt like I started from zero. It's like, hey, you can, not that you want to, but you just start all over again. If you were good enough to get to where you're at, why wouldn't you be good enough to start? Like, so there is a fear, a natural fear of like, oh, if I lost it all, what would happen? It's mm -hmm. like, I don't know, you just do it again. Just do it again. Awesome. Is there a book that you've gifted more than any other? I don't know if I've gifted, but I talked about, uh, I've definitely gifted that Millionaire Real Estate Investor book. Um, one book that I just absolutely loved was um, Unbroken, the Louis mm -hmm. Zamperini story. If anyone has not read that, you got to read that. Talk about a dude that was just like, I mean, he was awesome. Louis Zamperini, that's such a cool story. And um, Ray Dalio Principles, it's, a, it's like a Bible. It's mm -hmm. like thick. Really? But that has some of the most the best common sense business advice. I'd listen to it on audio. And then he has a great Instagram now mm -hmm. that has kind of like Darren Daly has like a, you know, he has like kind of a daily kind of snippet of his kind of rules and principles. He's mm -hmm. the CEO of Bridgewater. So awesome book there. I mean, I go on for days about books, but I'd say kind of those two books. Gotcha. All right. So uh, I'm going to let you think about what last thoughts you want to leave listeners with while I make a couple of quick announcements. You got it. Uh, guys. So it's the 18th. Next week is Christmas, and then is New Year's after that. So we're off for the rest of the year. We're going to be doing a couple of replays uh, from those that we hadn't played yet. Um, and then we're going to be starting the year off strong with Corey Peterson, the big kahuna, talking about multifamily. And uh, as you guys are well aware, Max and I are doing our workshop um, on, on January 10th through 12th. If you guys want to check it out, go to www.disruptors.com, D-I-S-R-U-P-T-O-R-S, and see if the workshop makes sense for you. Um, and with that, last thoughts. Last thoughts is uh, keep networking, keep providing value, keep being honest and transparent with other and, you know, have a good attitude and just keep going for it. Yeah. Awesome. If someone wants to get a hold of you, how will they do that? Uh, cell phone's the best one. 801-244-3888. That's crazy. That's suicide. <laughs> Thank you. Thank, Thank you so you, much. Thank you, Steve. Appreciate it, buddy. Thank you guys for watching.